Praise God. Uh-oh. Let me stand there. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. So why don't we have everybody stand up now? And I want you to give your best praise to Jesus. Everything you got. Go. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Man. And the whole church said? Amen. Amen. Man, you sit down now. That's awesome. Well, I'm so honored to get to be with you guys today. And uh, this is our, as Austin said, our uh, launch day for all of our groups. And I'm just so excited to see the depth of group that we have going on this year. There's just some incredible people that have stepped up to the plate, that have responded to the call of God on their life. And man, we just got groups that are literally meeting so many different needs, so many different circumstances and stories. And it's just incredible to see. Pastor Derek Hines is our life group pastor for the campus. And Lara Lankford has stepped up and is our administrative assistant within the group world. And man, those two guys, they have just put a team together and they're taking groups to the next level. Let's just honor them really quick and let them know we appreciate everything they're doing. They're doing an awesome job. And we know we're going to see groups continue to deepen and grow. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for what you've given us in your son, Jesus. The greatest gift a human being can ever receive. And Jesus, you're a God that will never be able to outgive. So not only did you give us Jesus, but Jesus, you gave us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for you being the great teacher in our lives. Holy Spirit, you're the one that's leading and guiding us into all truth. And my prayer today would be that the people that have come would experience a word from you. Father, in the midst of all the words that you've placed on my heart, I believe that there's a singular word, a phrase, a thought, an emotion, a picture that you want to have individually go off in the hearts of everybody in this room. So we say in accordance with the prayer that you taught us, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in this earth, in our hearts, in this room as it is in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to talk to you today about sharing your life. You know, I talk to a lot of different people day in and day out. And there's a lot of folks that I talk to that are seeking ways to improve the quality of their life. I think if we're honest, we all want to see our life deepen in quality. And we want to see our life deepen in regards to impact real impact that we can have on the people around us. We want to grow in our ability to be a good parent, a good business person, a good member of society, whatever it might be. We're all seeking for our lives to be better, to take shape and to deepen and to become the thing that God has ordained them to be. And I have this statement that the Lord gave me some time ago, and it's just something that's marinated in my heart and When I say this to you, I hope that you can really just experience it fresh and anew and that in some small way or or form that God would expand this in your heart and your life today. But I was in prayer with the Lord one time and he told me this. He said, tell people that if they want a better life, they need to devote themselves to make the lives of the people around them better. He said, tell them that if they want a better life, 
than to devote their lives to the betterment of others. And I believe that God never tells us to do anything that he himself doesn't do. And I know this is because Jesus is not a hypocrite. (laughs) Whatever Jesus tells us to do, we can look to his life and see where he did it and how he did it. And we can respond to it. And I know that we've got people in the room this morning that have responded to the lordship of Jesus. They've response, they have a response of their heart has been to say yes to Jesus. There's many people in the room today that have said yes to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. They've been born again. They've allowed God to enter their heart and their life and they're living their life for Jesus. Raise your hand this morning if you would say that you would call yourself a disciple of Jesus. That you are learning and seeking how to follow the Lord. That's awesome. And you know, that all started because of an invitation. An invitation came to you from Jesus, much like an invitation came to the very first disciples from the Gospel of Matthew. And it was an invitation, whether you heard it audibly or not, whether you sensed it in your heart as an emotion or an unction, or whether you heard a still small voice, or whether you felt this feeling of, I need to say yes to what the preacher's talking about. Maybe for some of you, that response to that invitation that Jesus gives, because the scripture is clear that no one can come to the Father unless they're first drawn. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit is to draw people to Jesus. You might have been in a room like this and at the end of a service where a minister was preaching and you'd sat through the pastor's entire message and it might have been a room like this except the pastor was a lot less better looking than I am and you were there and you were, you were just receiving ministry and this was a little humor. We'll just chop it up a little bit at the beginning. And at the end of the message, you just felt the pastor said something, the leader said something like, if you're here today and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, come to the altar, kneel where you are, raise a hand, or we're just going to pray and say this out of your mouth. And that might be the moment that you responded to the invitation of Jesus to have one-on-one relationship with him, to have a communion relationship with him. For some of you, it might have been in your bedroom. And maybe your grandma or your mom or your dad in your bedtime prayer led you to Jesus. Maybe it was a friend on the job or a friend at school. We all have a moment, those of us that are calling ourselves disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we all have a moment when we said yes to Jesus. We said yes, we responded to Christ's invitation. Those of us that are following the Lord have been there. And here's the thing that I want to tell you today is that Jesus doesn't just invite you into communion with him. He invites you into a community. Jesus doesn't just invite you into communing with him. He invites you to participate in a life-giving community. In fact, we see this is really part of God's heart and plan from the very beginning. If you take a look at Genesis, if you go back to the beginning of everything, the beginning of the world, which is a really interesting thing to think about, that this whole thing started at some point in time. If you look at that, what you see is you see God created mankind. He created Adam. And Adam had this beautiful relationship of communion with God. In fact, it's like this romanticized idea in all of our lives of really what we want our relationship with God to be like. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. He was verbalizing in just this place of constant communion and communication with God. God created this garden called Eden. 
And the word Eden means delight. He literally built a garden of delight for Adam to indulge in, for Adam to embrace, for Adam to taste all the varieties of fruit that God had created, for Adam to receive stewardship and authority. There was this communion and this cooperation, this co-laboring with God, this partnership between Adam and God. And God would make something out of nothing. And then he would tell Adam, I'm going to put you in charge of it. It's this beautiful place, and it's this idea that we all want to have. We want to have this one-on-one communion with God. We want to experience, and we want to frolic, and we want to play, and we want to just have this fantastic time in the garden. And I know it was a great place. It's because Adam was naked. Think about it. It's like the perfect picture. Endless buffet. No need for clothing because you're not ashamed of your body because you don't gain weight. And there's just this beautiful frolic in the garden with God. No cares, no worries. And a lot of times when you talk to Christians, that's kind of like the pinnacle of what they're basing their relationship with God on. God's here to individually bless me with every bountiful resource. God's here just pouring out his anointing on my life. And it's all about me and Jesus. And they wake up in the morning and first thing they say is, I love you, Jesus. And they go downstairs and they get themselves their coffee and the aroma's filling the kitchen and they're opening up their cute little journal and devotional and they're saying how much they love Jesus and if they could, they'd be frolicking naked in the kitchen but for societal constraints and post-fall, those things aren't accepted anymore, much to my chagrin, I know. But at the end of the day, here's the thing that's happening in the kitchen and, and there's this time and then the kids wake up. I want breakfast. She hit me. I don't want to go to school. Can I be honest with you? My relationship with God would be great if you guys weren't around. (laughs) Don't you feel like that sometimes? This place of blessed communion with the Lord. And then you sit down to respond to the first email of the day. And you remember why you don't like people. This beautiful place of communion with God and sensing his anointing and his power and his provision and quoting and declaring scripture and then somebody cuts you off in traffic. And you don't call them blessed and highly favored on the freeway, do you? And in that moment, you're thankful that it is just you and God because you say some things that you don't want anybody else to hear. People, community is messy. But it's necessary. It's necessary because God knows more than you do. I could really fix a lot of people's lives if I could just get them to not just confess, but really live from the belief that God knows more than they do. And what God wills for your life is much better than what you want. See, God formed Adam in this place of beautiful, blissful delightful communion. And then one day God looks at it and he says this, it's not good for man to be alone. And I've heard pastors and leaders talk and just because somebody's a pastor doesn't mean they know what they're talking about, just to be honest with you. And just because you're you doesn't mean you know what you're talking about either. But the scripture never says that Adam was lonely. It never says that Adam was mopey. Once again, He was naked, frolicking in the garden. He was happy. And yes, I know the word naked makes you uncomfortable. That's why I'm saying it so many times. (laughs) Is to keep you engaged, keep you uncomfortable. 
And just in case you haven't figured it out yet, Jesus is extremely disruptive. Jesus is and was a revolutionary. In fact, Jesus wants to totally transform your realities, but he's got to go through the walls of your perceptions. And God wants to radically change the way we view communion with him and community with each other. And he wants to show us that there's this blissful place, this garden of delight that was all about Adam and God. Just me and Jesus. We've got our own thing going. This is all we need. All the blessing, all the provision. And God says this, there's a better way. And the better way is not just you receiving my love, Adam. The better way, the way that will lead you to a place of total fulfillment, total blessing, filled and saturated with the purpose of heaven is for you to not just receive my love, but learn how to share it with somebody else. So he looks at man and he says, it's not good. It's not the best that man can live alone. Because if you really want to get technical about what the best life is, I see this a lot on social media right now. I'm living my best life. Selfie in the car, selfie on the beach, hashtag, living my best life. I see that all over the place. I'm just living my best life. Ain't nobody going to hold me down. I'm just living my best life. And the sad thing is, is that the best life for most of us is this fenced-in yard that we call our preferences, our convenience, and our comforts. God didn't create you to live alone, and God didn't create you to live selfishly. And it's a sad thing that this demonic, twisted culture has tricked people into thinking that the best life you can live is self-indulgence and a privatized relationship with God. And it's plaguing our churches. It's plaguing Christianity. That God and relationship with God is all figuring out how to make him the ultimate vending machine how for you to grow in spiritual power and spiritual prowess and how you can have this throbbing reality of God in every single moment, but you don't ever have to open up your home. You don't ever have to open up your car. You don't ever have to open up your wallet. This is just about you and Jesus. And God said in the middle of the garden of delight, this is good, but my will isn't just good. My will is perfect. And my will is for you to walk in the best. So he took something out of Adam, a seed, a rib, and he formed Eve. And he said, Adam, welcome to what makes the garden truly delightful. Taking everything that I've given you and sharing it and multiplying it. Adam, let me teach you about the way of love, which is the way of giving, the way of sharing your life. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And I think that a lot of the time when we first respond to Jesus, we get in that mode and that model of experiencing this garden of delight. God's joy and God's peace totally and radically floods our hearts. And we think that this thing is all about the romp and the frolic in the garden between us and God. And something starts to happen. See, we see this from the scripture in Mark chapter 4 verse 19. It's where Jesus calls the very first disciples, the very first people that are going to follow Jesus the way that you and I are desiring to follow Jesus today. We're two ordinary fishermen, everyday guys, like to talk about football and the weather and catch fish. Anybody relate? Okay. Ordinary people. Very two, very first two he calls, Simon and Andrew, they're brothers. And I can guarantee you this, that whenever they responded to Jesus' invitation... Because that's what it was. It was an invitation. In fact, it says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus sees them 
And from the shoreline, he says this, come and follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Come and follow me. Everybody say invitation. invitation. Come and follow me. Here's the thing about it. Simon and Andrew, I can guarantee you, they believed that they were going to have a corner on the Jesus market. Jesus is this prolific person. He's this exciting individual. He's an important person. He taught as a rabbi. And and that day and time to be asked into a rabbi's school, to be asked to carry the yoke of a rabbi, that was like the pinnacle of societal success. And these guys had missed the boat. That's why they were on the fishing boat. They didn't make the cut. They lacked the right background, maybe even the right intellect. They had been left on the fringe. They had been separated from the place and the culture and time that said what true success was. And here Jesus comes along and he says, come and follow me. What he's asking them to do is to take on his yoke, his teaching, to follow them as a rabbi. Now the outsider has got to be an insider in that moment who has been excluded is asked to be included. And they're excited. They drop their nets. They don't just lay them down. They drop them and they run hard after Jesus. I believe there's some ordinary folk in the house today that when you finally heard the invitation of the Lord, you dropped your nets and you were so excited that the king of the universe thought that you were important. That was Simon and Andrew. Ecstatic to be able to follow the Lord, to be able to learn from a man of wisdom, to be able to glean from a rabbi. And here's the most awesome thing is that just like you thought and I thought, That Jesus was inviting us into this nice little place of communion with him and just being able to celebrate his goodness and his graciousness and feast on the fruits and experience his love. He messed it all up and he brought other people into it. Think about Simon and Andrew. Who knows how long it was that they had just Jesus to themselves? And the next thing you know, Jesus is inviting weird people to the life group. It's like, Jesus, we got this three, the three of us, kind of this Trinitarian thing going on. It's perfect. Simon, Andrew, Jesus, we're the elite. This is the delight. Everything is good. And then one day, Jesus calls a zealot, Peter. You know Peter. This guy's stockpiling weapons. And he's talking about overthrowing the government. And he's talking about all these conspiracies. He's got to stick it to the man and power to the people. And he makes people uncomfortable because he's kind of weird. And Jesus says, the same way he said to Simon and Andrew, he said, come follow me, Peter. Think about Simon and Andrew. Jesus, we got a good thing going. Why are you inviting the weirdo to the group? And to take it even further, Jesus, when he decided he was going to change the world, you know, the very first thing he did, he started a life group. Twelve guys to come and live life with him. I've had people get suspicious when we start to push life groups. They've come to me, well, you guys seem to be talking about those groups a lot. You really seem to be talking about those groups. Why are those groups important? Uh, I don't know, because Jesus had one. That's why I think they're important. (laughs) Pick 12 guys, he said, come live life with me. Let's learn to grow in God together. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Jesus teaches us, like he had to teach Simon and Andrew, I guarantee you, that he's not just calling us into communion with him, he's calling us to be a part of a community. And here's the thing, the type of community that he's calling us to is really gonna mess with your privacy fence of preference and comfort 
and convenience. Because I believe those of us that are leading groups this semester that we've got people on our list, but I'm more interested with who God has on his heart. We've got people on our list that we want to invite, but I think that Jesus would want us to open up our hearts and really ask, God, who's on your list? Who do you want me to get connected to this semester? Simon and Andrew are probably flustered because now they got Peter. And then Jesus goes and he's being a revolutionary, being disruptive. And here you got the anti-government zealot Peter. And then Jesus says, oh yeah, IRS agent, Matthew, come follow me. How do you think the conversations went between Peter and Matthew? Peter's like, Jesus, you're asking the government, sell out, clone, drone to come to the life group? These guys are the problem. These are the guys that we got to fight. We got to take down. They're stealing all of our stuff. And Jesus says, follow me. See, because we have demonic powers in our world that have a vested interest in getting us to worship things other than Jesus. We have demonic powers in our culture today that are getting us to worship elephants and donkeys instead of follow the lamb. And I don't know about you, but if the lamb leads me to invite a donkey to my group, I'm going to follow the lamb. And if the lamb leads me to invite an elephant to my group, I'm going to follow the lamb. Because this thing is about following Jesus, not living at the level of my preferences. Jesus is an equal opportunist disruptor. He never compromised the truth because he's a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. He didn't change his doctrine because Matthew was in the group. And he didn't change his doctrine because Peter was in the group. And guess what? If any of them would have got offended, Jesus would have still said, lunch is always on the table with me. Amen. And then to take it a step further, Jesus invites a skeptic, a doubter, an intellectual, Thomas. He's got to question everything, won't believe it until he sees it, wants quantifiable evidence. So you got the charismatic Peter, you just need more faith. And Thomas is like, that's the thing, I don't have faith. <laughs> and Jesus says, follow me. Because people that are secure in their walk with Jesus aren't afraid of people's questions. And people that are secure in their communion with Jesus aren't afraid of who God wants to bring into your sphere of community. Make no mistake, communion with God is important. Communion with God is what sets the foundation for the life of community that he wants us to live. But here's the thing, it's not good for you and him to be alone. <laughs> and it's not good for you to only have the people in your life that fit your mold. It's not good for you to have people that never challenge your thought process. It's not good for you to not have people that you take to lunch that don't believe like you do. Because I don't know if you knew the, know this or not, but there was a time when your preferences weren't Jesus's preferences. And he still wasn't intimidated to give you an invitation. I'll tell you that my preferences haven't always been Jesus's preferences. But do you know, I've never heard testimony of anybody changing their mind coming to Jesus because somebody stood up with a cardboard sign and screamed how wrong they are. Never heard a testimony of anybody changing from that. Not one. 
But I've heard more testimonies than I can count from somebody that gave someone a lunch invitation. Somebody that said, you know what? I've got an extra seat in my car if you want to go to church. You know what? I've got an extra spot on my couch if you want to come to my life group. Because I can tell you this. The change that you and I really want to see in the world, it happens through invitation. It happens the way that Jesus did it. Because only Jesus is able to take a zealot, a government sellout, a skeptic, and somehow use them to be a part of the 11 individuals that turn the world radically upside down. And here's the thing we miss. We miss the fact that that revolutionary's mind, think about the mind of Jesus. What kind of a mind thinks to invite Peter, Matthew, Thomas, and bring them all in the same group and live life together? It's the mind of a revolutionary. It's the mind of God. And you know what the most beautiful thing in the world is? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, you've got his mind on the inside of you. You've got the ability through community to make peace. Not keep peace, but to make peace. Because here's a newsflash, guys. There's a lot of people that are going to argue with your opinions, your philosophies, and your doctrines. But there's nobody that can argue with the life that you live in front of them every day. So when we invite who's on God's heart and we get rejected, we can say, I'm always down for lunch. When we ask people to the group and they don't like the things that we're talking about and they leave, we can always say, I'm always open to lunch. (laughs) What happens is, is that we stop growing at whatever fence line of preference we've erected. We stop expanding right at the level of whatever wall of comfort and convenience we've built. And see, God is wanting to lean into us by means of his Holy Spirit. And he's wanting us to open up to the possibility that there's actually people that need to experience him through you. There's people that radically need to be touched by the love of Jesus. And there's people that radically need to be invited into life-giving community, regardless of where they're at personally. And let him do his job. Because here's the thing about it. We get confused sometimes. We think it's our job to change people. When Jesus said this to the disciples, follow me and I, he didn't say you, he said I, Jesus, will make you to become that which you are not right now. I think the first step in seeing the world change is extending an invitation and then letting Jesus show up and do what he does best, which is change people's hearts. The church is at her worst whenever we assume that we have the ability to change anybody. The church is at her best when we assume that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him not, might, not, might not perish but have everlasting life. Check it out, 317. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. Why does God want you to share his, your life? Because church, it's supposed to be his life anyway. And his life being shared is the only way that people change. It's the only way that chains of condemnation fall off of people's lives. And it's the only way that people now allow themselves to experience the radical embrace of a loving father that wants to mold them and shape them and bring them into part of the change that he wants to see in the world. The church has to stop condemning the world 
and be better about inviting people to lunch. The church has to stop holding up cardboard signs about how angry they are with everything and make a decision to open up their hearts to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Jesus said, you retain the sins of any they're retained. You forgive the sins of any they're forgiven. I think it's going to be a tough conversation when we're face to face in front of him. And he says, I have freely forgiven you. Why have you held on to debt against others for so long? I think it's going to be a sobering conversation when we're face to face with Jesus and say, why did you never get beyond the list of your preference and open up your home to who was on my heart? I know you built awesome friend networks, but I'm about seeking and saving that which is lost. I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I came for the people that need a doctor, that need an encounter with the truth. When are you going to open your heart and let me out? When are you going to open your home and let people in that need to experience the radical love of God? I deal with people week after week. Good people, confused albeit, but good people, church people that tell me things like, Pastor, there's somebody on the road down here at the corner. They don't have any place to stay, have no food, need some clothes. The church should do something about that. They come to me, they say, Pastor, we need a group that's for people that don't fit anywhere else. A lot of times people have a hard time fitting into some of the groups you've got going on at the campus. We need a group that's just about including outsiders. The church should do something about that. They come and they tell me these things. And you know what I've started doing now? This is what I do. When people come and they tell me, the church should really do something about that. This is what I do. Tag, you're it. And I walk off. You're absolutely right. The church should do something about that. Pastor, there's so many people in my neighborhood that can't drive anymore. They don't have transportation. They would love to be able to come to a church service. The church should do something about that. Newsflash, last time I checked, you got four empty seats in your vehicle. The church should do something about that. You are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are commissioned to pick people up for church. You are commissioned to invite lonely people into your family. Balcony people, you're commissioned in the name of Jesus to go and do good and bring in the people that Jesus is trying to reach. Follow me. And let Jesus take care of the behaviors. Let Jesus take care of the addictions. You can't fix it. You've been stressing yourself out for years trying to fix your loved ones. You can't do it. But you can say, I'm available for lunch. We need more invitation. We need less angry protests. And we need more prophetic witness of who Jesus is in the world today. So the zealots, invite them to your group. The conspiracy theorists, invite them to your group. You'll have the most lively group you've ever had. The doubters, invite them. Let them strengthen everybody's faith because they'll actually, for once in their life, have to give a defense for what they believe because they've been saturated with Christianese for 30 years. Haven't talked to a lost person in 30 years. Invite the government sellout. Invite the donkey. Invite him. You're telling me Jesus wouldn't invite him? Follow the lamb. Don't get all caught up in the 
demon-saturated political culture. It's trying to separate, divide. Jesus makes peace. Those that reject, reject. But Jesus is an equal opportunist in disruption. Let him use you to disrupt people's lives. Let them be, let you be the Christian that they can't figure out. Because you're not religious. You don't have an agenda. You just love God and love people. Let it mess with them. Let you be the first one that's ever invited them to a life group. Let your home be a hospital. Instead of a Christian hangout. Let your car smell like something other than your Yankee candle diffuser. You need it. You need it because it's the Jesus way. It's the Jesus way to look at broken people, hurting people, and say, you want to do lunch? It's the Jesus way to look at people that don't see things from your paradigm and say, you know what? I'm going to let you talk for a while. So many Christians want all, everybody else to listen to them, but they don't listen to anybody else because they're not secure in their relationship with God. Listen, you're never not going to convince me that certain things are that are right, that are wrong. And you're never going to be able to convince me that Jesus isn't real because I've already got that figured out because I've got communion with Jesus. So I can talk to you and not be intimidated. And here's the thing about it. I actually believe Galatians 5, whatever I sow, I reap. So if I want to be able to talk to you about Jesus, I probably need to suck it up and listen to you for 30 minutes about everything that I disagree with. Because I'm going to sow some listening so I can reap some listening. You want to know why people don't listen to Christians? Because we don't listen. We scream and we hold up signs and we tell everybody how wrong they are. You're bad, you're wrong, you're bad, you're wrong, you don't, you don't get invited, nana, 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 figure out how to be holy like we're holy. I don't know about you, I didn't figure out how to be holy until Jesus got in the middle of my sin-saturated, messed up life and said, I believe in you, buddy. Nothing you do is going to intimidate me, nothing you do is going to scare me. I believe that you're on God's heart and your destination is the Lamb's book of life, so spit in my face, cuss me out, tell me I'm no good, I'm a bigot. At the end of that conversation, I'm going to say, So, do you still want to do lunch? I had a guy cuss me out in Walmart. Call me a hypocrite because he knew I was from the church. I chased that brother down all the way to the checkout. And I told him, I'm going to bless you today. What? I'm going to buy your groceries. He had just cussed me out, done a bunch of obscene things in the store. I followed him in the front. I said, I'm going to buy your groceries, dude. He said, look at you, you arrogant. You think you can bless me? I've got 10,000, 10 times more dollars than you do. You're younger than I am. What blessing do you think you can give me? I said, I want to buy your groceries. <laughs> he wouldn't let me do it. I followed him to the front of the store. He's putting up the cart. I said, hey, man, I want to have lunch with you. Because he goes to church here. I said, I want to have lunch with you. He said, lunch? I said, yeah, don't you like to eat? He said, yeah. I said, I just want to hear your story, man. You got something against me. That's cool, but just know I'm open. I was on the phone earlier when you're trying to talk to me. I can't do two things at once. I'm not a woman. Women are the only people that can multitask. And I said, I can't do that. And the dude stopped and he talked. You know what happened a few weeks later? 
He came up to me because he came up and he asked me a question. And I told him the answer to this question. He said, I'm trying to tell these younger people about the truth and they don't want to hear it. And I looked at him and I said, here's the thing. People have to be ready for the truth. So you can sow it all day, but until they're ready, you're not going to make any progress. The next week later, he came up to me. And to this day, he calls me his teacher. You know why? He says, you're the first person that's ever, that I've ever allowed to teach me anything. Guess what? We're buddies now. You know why? Because nobody in your life should be safe from a blessing. Nobody in your life should be safe from you being willing to share your life with them. Get rejected. Get scorned. Uh, that's called being persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus said, yours is the kingdom of heaven. So bring it on, baby. You just remind me what my inheritance is. What else do you want to call me? I'm going to call you something. You're loved by God. Well, you blankety blank, 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 blank. You want to have lunch? <laughs> Invitation. That's how we combat people that are lost in the fog of demonic confusion. Not cardboard signs that tell them how evil they are. Listen to me, church. Jesus didn't do that with anybody. He didn't march on the capital of Rome and tell them they were sin-saturated and indulgent and decadent and filled with the devil. You know who he said that to? Church people. He lived the alternative. Most people that shout the loudest about how wrong everybody is, it's because inside they're scared the most. I don't care what the culture throws. Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And the last time I read the book, the government's on his shoulders. And the increase of his government shall be no end. Jesus is coming back. He's going to bust the sky open from the east to the west. And all this stuff that's been going on for a long time, you know, the first thing he's going to do, he's going to invite everybody to lunch. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's people that responded to the invitation through you first. You know why I try to have lunch with people right now? Because there's a meal coming that they can't afford to miss out on. How dare us? How dare us move into a place of spiritual superiority, spiritual arrogance, and exclude people that Jesus died to include? Shame on us. You know it's possible to be civil and disagree? You know, it's possible to have lunch and not understand. But I guarantee you this. God wants you to start sharing your life and sowing your life. Because his will is to radically bless you. And you'll only reap what you sow. Jesus has come to give you life in it more abundantly. So I think the best thing for us to believe is that we've got room in our homes. I've got room in my budget I've got room in my car. I know I've got my list of what my group and my church life is supposed to be about. But Jesus, I'm really more concerned with who's on your heart. Teach me how to share my life. Teach me how to receive your life first every day. And then now release it to a world that needs an invitation. Real life change happens through invite. My question is, who are you inviting to the table? Who are you asking in? Don't allow your privacy offensive preference and your home security system of comfort to keep you from the people that Jesus wants to desperately touch. The people that resist you the most might be the ones that surrender fully to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.
That's a good place for an altar call. Give it up for the Lord. That's awesome. That's good. You say, Pastor, I feel disrupted today. Good. You were hanging out with Jesus. I feel disrupted. I feel all shook up. I feel like I got to go and reevaluate everything. Awesome. The Holy Spirit actually said something to you. So good. Amen. I'm blessed. I'm going to go home and sleep good. All right. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, two calls I'm going to give. The first, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart and life, you've never allowed yourself to receive the greatest gift that heaven's ever released, which is Jesus. And you know that you're ready to say no to the lies of the culture. You're ready to say no to the lies of addiction and falsehood in your life. And you say, man, I don't know where to begin. I can tell you where to begin today. It's called saying yes to the invite that Jesus is giving you. He says, come, follow me. I'll take care of the changing. You just stick to the following. If you're here today and you're ready to follow Jesus with your whole heart, you're ready to be born again, you're ready to give your life to him, I'm going to ask you, every head bowed and every eye closed, just to lift a hand right where you sit. Make sure I see it. After I see it, you can put it down. I see your hand in the balcony, ma'am. Thank you so much. Anybody else who'd like to join? I see your hand right here, brother. Thank you so much. Anybody like to join these two precious people today and say yes to Jesus? Say yes to following Jesus. Just slip up your hand. Make sure I see it. Then you can put it down. We don't want to miss anybody this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Family, oh, see your hand right here, ma'am. Thank you so much. Praise God. We'll wait just a moment. Don't want to miss anybody. Thank you, Lord, for these three awesome people today making a decision to follow you. Thank you, God. Family, we're going to pray with those that have raised their hand. And they're going to step into the family of God. Everybody just repeat this after me with those that have raised their hand. Heavenly Father, I confess I'm messed up. My life's messed up. I need help. I can't fix myself. I believe Jesus Christ is that help. He is my only hope. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for me on the cross. And has forgiven me of all my sins. I say yes to following him. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Help me by your Holy Spirit to live for you all the days of my life. Amen. Awesome. Second call is this. If you're here today and you know that the Lord's dealing with you about surrendering your life. I'm not talking about being born again, again, again. I'm talking today. I believe there's a group of people here that have stepped out in faith, that have opened up their homes, opened up their cars, opened up their wallets. And I believe that somewhere on the course of life, you got burned, you got betrayed, you got stabbed in the back. Hurt causes us to build these fences of preference and these boxes of comfort. I can tell you this, Jesus, even in his group, even in his community, how to deal with betrayal and hurt. But I can tell you this, one betrayal is worth a billion people coming to know the Lord Jesus. One betrayal is worth a billion blessings that God wants to release through your life. In the midst of a Judas, 
Jesus got 11 others that turned the world totally upside down. I don't know if fear or hurt is talking you out of opening up your life again, but I feel this morning there's a group of people that need to resurrender and say, God, I'm willing to share my life. I'm willing to open myself up. I want to tear down my fences and I want to build some bridges. I want to be a connector. I want to be somebody that's showing the love of God in my sphere of influence again. I'm ready. I'm ready. If that's you, why don't you just put your hand on your heart this morning? I'm putting my hand on my heart with you. I don't come and bring a convicting word that isn't the result of God already convicting me. I don't speak as somebody that's arrived. I speak to you this morning as a brother in Christ that's on the journey with you of growing in what it means to share my life. Father, you see everybody in the room with hands on their hearts. God, today I pray that we serve an eviction notice to fear. Fear has no place to keep us from opening up our homes, our cars, our wallets, our lives for the people that you're trying to lead us to. Jesus, I know that in the midst of invitation, you'll also give us wisdom and how to step forward. You'll give us grace and how to be somebody that's ministering the gospel in an effective, real way. And Jesus, I pray that over all of our groups this semester, that we would be known as a place of true, genuine, Christ-like hospitality. We lay down our lists. We say, give us your heart, God, and let us move with the unforced rhythms of your grace as we make it our job to tell people about your goodness and we surrender your job to you, which is to change people and mold them into new creation realities. We surrender today to what you want to do in our groups, in our church, in our home, in our businesses, all in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody give the Lord some praise this morning.